Hey guys, thanks very much for coming along. Um, so we're here to talk to you about how Dow Jones is identifying, analyzing, and remediating security issues uh, with a tool called Hammer. Um, my name is Ramin Beheshti. I'm the Group Chief Product and Technology Officer for Dow Jones. Uh, and with me, who's actually the brains of this whole presentation, is gonna do most of the talking, is, is Pranav Patel, who's uh, the security architect and one of the kind of uh, uh, instrumenters of, uh, of, of Hammer, which is the tool that we really want to kind of talk about today. But I'm just going to talk a little bit about the kind of background as to why we ended up building Hammer and kind of what our plans are to kind of give that back to the community, if you like. Um, so Dow Jones, for those of you who don't know, is a uh, news and information business. So, you know, has anyone heard of the Wall Street Journal? So we publish the Wall Street Journal. Uh, we publish other publications, which you might or might not have heard of, Barron's, Market Watch. Um, and then uh, one other big part of our business is uh, B2B business. So we also um, sell Factiva, risk and compliance products, uh, news wires. Uh, so we, we sell to, to, to businesses. So we're a news and information business uh, at our kind of core. Um, and we've been on the kind of cloud migration journey for quite a long time, actually. We started back in 2012 and there was a bit of a, a rush to get to the to the cloud, you can see the uh, animation on the on <laughs> on the screen. That was what that's what we were like. We were kind of like, let's get to the cloud. There were all these kind of you know um, opportunities in terms of moving to the cloud and what we'd get from 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 getting there, which is kind of being agile. Um, we were looking for kind of cost management to be able to fail forward. All those kind of cliches that you you sometimes hear uh, about moving to the cloud um, and. It's worked out pretty well overall. We've learned a heck of a lot. Um, however, one of the things that, that happens when you move quite early is you, don't, you can't look to peers and go like, well, what did you guys do? How did you guys solve this problem? Um, and one of the areas where we've definitely been learning as we kind of go, which is obviously quite a risky thing, is, is around security. So, you know, actually about a year ago, we realized that our AWS environment was kind of what we class as legacy, which is quite funny because, you know, uh, it was only five years ago that we started on that journey, but we had two VPCs, one for prod and one for dev, and it had all of our products in there. So huge amount of risk uh, in terms of our kind of cloud environment. And, and, and again, from the security perspective, the traditional methods around kind of security that we'd used on premise didn't uh, kind of work that well in the cloud. And I guess in the race to kind of get to, to, to move our stuff into to AWS, we probably hadn't, I think that the quote is actually great, which is uh, while moving fast and breaking things, we actually forgot to fix things. So we'd incurred a lot of kind of uh, technical debt around some of the stuff that, that we'd moved. The way that we were structured from an organization perspective didn't, wouldn't necessarily scale and be able to support uh, our kind of, um, our, our new way of thinking in terms of uh, our, our model in, in AWS. Um, and so what did that actually all kind of tally up to? Uh, I mean, apart from the exposure, which I'll talk about in a second, just from an operational perspective, uh, the way I kind of talk about our, our first iteration of the cloud, and, and Pranav will talk a little bit more about it in a second, was it was like a physical data center. Like, we weren't getting any of the benefits of agility or uh, moving quickly, really, because we were kind of, with one VPC, we were so kind of locked down there uh, that it was def difficult to give developers kind of freedom and, and access, which is exactly what we wanted to do. But what was, what was really hurting us was some of the exposures. And, you know, there's some on that slide, but the one that kind of... Um, 
The one that uh, really kind of shook things up um, was some of the S3 bucket leakage issues. So we were in the, uh, in the news, uh, we had an overexposed uh, S3 bucket uh, that was, uh, you know, fortunately in one way for us found by a researcher um, through kind of, and, and, and they notified us and then they kind of went to, to press about it. Um, and kind of all of that led us to start thinking, even almost before that became kind of newsworthy, we knew that we needed to do, do something. And so Pranav and, and, and some of the team started looking at kind of DevSec ops, which is uh, uh, the, the way that I understand it anyway, um, and looking at what could we do, given that we can't keep scaling our security team in the same way that we're scaling the number of VPCs that we started to create to migrate over to, what could we do in an automated fashion um, to help give our developers the flexibility and freedom that they needed with the security and relative peace of mind um, that, that we could afford. And I think on that note, Pranav, it'd be great to start talking about our uh, VPC structure and then how we kind of came up with the concept of Hammer. Sure thing. Thanks, Raman. So I would like to talk about the initial journey, right? A lot of organizations have been in similar situations when they moved from data center to cloud. They tried to model their cloud environments very specific to their data center environments, right? Doing, doing that, they migrated all their legacy patterns to the cloud as well, making the cloud legacy. It was pretty simple in the earlier days, um, especially when you have two accounts to monitor, your security team can just look at uh, trusted advisor reports and identify, hey, what are the issues that I have to fix? I have S3 buckets, I have IAM keys, I have MFA that I need to fix, security groups, et cetera, right? But when you have more and more accounts, uh, it force multiplies. You cannot scale manually. So let me take an example here, right, from, uh, inspired from a, a reality show, uh, a TV show. Uh, I would not name it, uh, but assume you guys have um, a farm of pumpkins, right? You're growing pumpkins, and uh, that's your business. During Thanksgiving, you make enough profit out of it, and you want to scale. You need to grow more and more pumpkins. So how do you do that? You cannot really crank up your farm to grow more pumpkins. You need to buy more land, buy, buy more farms, right? So while doing that, you, you'll, have, you'll achieve this uh, by automation. You'll buy tools to mass produce your pumpkins. Again, with more pumpkins, you have more revenues. You, your growth is exponential. But your single team that does this development purpose, uh, that, the, that does this development right, um, loses this uh, site of security, right? You forget the guardrails in place. Um, you do not have good monitoring, cameras, etc., in place. So, what happens when you have multiple farms to look at? Suddenly, you hear some noise from your neighbors. Hey, uh, my pumpkins are dying. Someone poisoned my farm, right? What happened? Now, you hear more about these incidents. So, I would like to say stranger things happen to your farm. <laughs> so, how do these things really happen? How does your security team? really looks into each and every uh, farm, right? So it's technically uh, or humanly not possible to go into each and every farm and find issues. Where, do, where did it start? You do not know where your next attack will be. So you need, to, uh, you need to have this visibility, right? These stranger things concept also applies to your AWS accounts, right? Your pumpkins are your resources. These are directly proportional to the revenue. When you lose a lot of resources to, to an adversary, it affects your revenue as well. So. Why did we end up here, right? How did we end up here? Lack of visibility. 
your team does not really have visibility in each, in, each, in each and every accounts, right? You cannot really log into each and every consoles to look at what your issues are, especially when you, are, you have hundreds of accounts, thousands of AWS accounts, right? Scalability is an issue. You do not scale with humans, you scale with automation. And there's always this notion around AWS uh, has a shared responsibility model, shared security model, um, and someone is looking at it. But no, AWS takes care of security of the cloud, the physical aspects of the cloud, right? The data centers. Uh, whatever goes into the cloud is customer's responsibility. And uh, we have to bake in this, uh, this responsibility into each and every workloads. Uh, you sprinkle security into each and every uh, lifecycle events, right? So let's talk about why do we need security into each and every uh, aspects of uh, migration to cloud or moving applications to the cloud, right? Change in landscape. Uh, your firewalls, the physical firewalls, are not physical anymore. Three lines of code, you have security groups, right? You have egress, uh, egress and ingress rules. So landscape has changed. You patch your AMIs, your armies, right? Um, what else? You have knuckles in place. You have S3 buckets, which never existed in data center. So these are certain uh, change in the landscape. Need to automate. When you have more and more workloads in cloud, you definitely want to automate. Why? Because you automated your uh, development processes, you automated your operations. You do want to automate your security. So uh, having said that, there, there were challenges in traditional tools, and for that, we, we need to build a secure posture. We need to build a secure model around it, right? So this should be your ideal state, an organization's ideal state, where you have plugged-in security into each and every AWS account, right? as well as you monitor the security, right? You have good governance in place, you have security policies across each and every AWS accounts, and guardrails, so something uh, bad does happen to your account, you can go in and fix it, right? You can do automate, automation uh, around fixes as well. So let's talk about security aspects in cloud, right? Uh, you need to have defense in depth, must have heard about from so many other folks, Right? AWS did a great job in providing certain tool sets you, have, uh, you can use against uh, certain metrics. Right? I, I leveraged this from, or inspired, this is an inspiration from CAF, Cloud Adoption Framework, but I've named them differently. Detection controls. Right? You have detective controls in place. You can use IAM roles. You can use AWS config. You can use AWS config rules. Right? You identify the, the deviation moving away from your good, uh, good patterns. Right? You need to have protective controls, too. If there is any deviation from your uh, good environment, you need to fix this. Right? By doing this, you reduce your blast radius about security, incidents, etc. Then you have uh, reactive controls as well. You have Amazon uh, has uh, web application firewalls that helps you fix, uh, identify, or filter your data, especially around SQL injection, attacks like SQL injection, cross-site scripting, etc. Right? It helps you uh, filter malicious data. They have service called Shield, DDoS, which, uh, which helps you prevent distributed denial of service attacks, right? So these are certain tools. These are flavor of tools that you need to leverage in AWS accounts. So that helps you secure your AWS workloads, right? It, um, it should not be replaced by one or another, but you need to sprinkle the security into each and every aspect of your application or of your environment. So we took some of these solutions together. We brought them together. And again, automation is a key. We build an automation around it to scale into multiple AWS accounts so that we can govern this from one central place. 
However, um, addition of more and more accounts will never be a problem, right? Plus, self-service. You do want to make sure self-service uh, is something that developers can start using it. So it's not, um, it, it should not be difficult for them to embed security, right? Instead of saying no all the time, it's how should we plug security into each and every aspect of development, right? And auditability, right? You need to have measures that you can audit against, uh, when, especially when you have tools in place or humans in place. You need to have uh, who took this action and why and how, right? These are certain questions you do want an answer for. So bringing this thing together, we built uh, a tool, a cloud, a cloud security tool or product uh, named Hammer. No, it's not MC Hammer. It's inspired from the hammer uh, which you use in your home to fix your home household issues, right? It's something like that that can help you fix all your uh, basic fixes in your AWS environment. So what is Hammer and why did we develop this, right? This gives us a good cloud infrastructure visibility across each and every account, especially when you have hundreds and thousands of accounts. This gives you a good visibility about what are my top 10 issues that I need to worry about in each and every line of business or products. Especially from a security point of view, it helps me pinpoint what are my product issues, right? If a product A, underline of business, um, has 10 high security issues and product B has 20 high security issues, but product B is more of a crown jewel for me that helps me prioritize it, right? That helps me give an executive report to an executive to how I can start fixing these issues. Tailored reporting. Reporting is a key part of any security tool that you have. You do want to make sure uh, who owns this issue, especially uh, when you have thousands of issues to look at. Right? You need to also give them recommendations how to fix this issue, how to bring down uh, the security uh, uh, threat landscape, right? how, to, how to build a security po secure posture around your applications. And autofix. Uh, autofix is important, especially in the days when you have infrastructure as a code. Right? You can write code to spin up your infrastructure. You can also write code to fix your issues. Right? Especially when uh, in traditional environment, when you had to follow some change management processes to expose a server uh, that never accidentally happened. But over here now, with single click of buttons, you actually expose an S3 bucket or an EC2 instance or a database. All right? So these things can happen. So auto fixes are something that you can embed into your uh, life cycle so that anything uh, bad happens to your environment, you can still roll back to your better uh, or a good known state. So who are the consumers? I did talk about scalability. So uh, consumers who have multiple AWS accounts, right, which are starting their journey from a couple of our AWS accounts who have hit some bottlenecks with resources they want to scale, again, for multiple reasons, blast radius, et cetera. So these, uh, these are the best consumers to uh, use this tool to get a single pane of glass view. Decentralized development organizations who are geographically distributed, right? You have different teams looking at it. Uh, it's simple to sit in one place and still monitor, uh, still monitor all your AWS account configurations and see what are the biggest threats in your environments. And multiple line of business. Uh, when you have different products, uh, you have different patterns of deployments, right? You, uh, instead of worrying about how each and every application behaves and is being deployed, you still use this tool from central place without worrying about the different landscape, but still uh, monitor about the security issues. So what is the life cycle? The life cycle is pretty simple like any other tools, but there are two major aspects around which we have built automation around it. That solves uh, the human part 
where you do not need human data uh, security analysts, um, especially in this aspect um, where it can help you um, analyze certain issues, right? So let's talk about it. Identification, obviously, uh, any tool is incomplete before, uh, like you cannot fix what you cannot see, right? So identification is an important part. Uh, we scan the uh, entire environments or each and every AWS accounts for anomalies, for any deviation from your security policies. Once you identify these anomalies, that's when you analyze. Usually organizations have security analysts to look at issues, to, uh, to see if it's a false positive, uh, what kind of product it belongs to, and uh, who should own this issue, right? Uh, so this part, especially in cloud, when you have good config management and you have uh, proper tags in place, you have AWS accounts uh, divided into multiple line of business, analysis becomes easier with automation. So you analyze them. Once you create a data model around it, hey, this is an issue, this is a, uh, this, these are the re uh, resources that are affected by this issue, you can report on it. You report it to the person who wants to fix it, rather than general reporting and you still have to find the issues, right? So that team, individual person or the team, can remediate this issue based on the report, right? Remediation, as I mentioned, there are certain aspects of it based on what is available, you can fix this issue, right? So remediation, uh, it can be auto fix. However, there are certain places where you need humans to bring this remediation into their life cycle so they can, they'll fix it into next sprints, right? And again, identify. So this is a cycle that should happen over and over again, uh, like any other tool. Let's talk about architecture, right? There are two patterns in our, uh, uh, two different design patterns that we considered. One was a decoupled tool where we wanted to deploy Hammer into each and every AWS account. But then we, but when we multiply by number of AWS accounts, there were challenges, right? There were challenges in terms of maintenance, um, then deployment and scalability, right? So we chose to run this tool from one central place, leveraging AWS um, cross-account policies, right? You assume a role, you trust uh, with the trust relationships, and then go into each and every account, scan for anomalies, and that's how we identify and fix the issues. So this architecture had uh, been beneficial when you have more and more AWS accounts in place. Tomorrow, if your company does acquire another company, right, you just plug into your current portfolio, and then you can still uh, adhere towards your security baselines. So let's talk about how does it work. I did talk about certain uh, tools from AWS that we leveraged, right? One of those was Lambda. Lambda has been, uh, has been important uh, for us, uh, especially to run short-term actions as, uh, and go and an analyze uh, against our security posture, right? All the security policies, it will go into each and every account, verify if there are any uh, deviations from these policies. It will catalog all these anomalies into a database. I call this database as a vulnerability database. That's where you store all your information. Once you store that information that these are your issues, correlation engine kicks in. It will take the issue, it will go back to the environment, it will use AWS APIs, it will find what are the issues related to this uh, particular, uh, what are the services related to this issue, right? It will do some data analytics around it. It will find the metadata, tags, ownerships, AWS account numbers, right? Once you identify those, uh, you build a data model around it. Okay, now this is an issue you need to resolve. Assign this particular, um, particular issue to a team. 
you gotta take it to the team, the development team who needs to fix this, either in their next sprint cycle or you can, they can fix it immediately if it's an if it's if it is an urgent issue, right? You can plug this into Slack to make it real time. Let's talk about auto fix. So what happens when your team, your development team, is at reInvent and you have some glaring security issues out there? Who's gonna fix it for you? Well. You cannot ask, you should ask them to go and fix it, but if they are in reinvent, right, you need to have certain guardrails in place where it will fix all your issues um, on its own. So when the correlation engine does identify there are certain critical issues in your, um, in your account, in different AWS accounts, you need to fix it. It will analyze, again, uh, how to fix it efficiently without uh, breaking applications. And once it does fix the services for you, uh, it will also notify in the ticketing portal, hey, I fixed your issue, and so that the owner is aware about the issue and the issue has been resolved, right? So you have good audit trail behind it. Types of issues. It's usually issues are not black and white, right? It's not a, it's not a binary world. Uh, you need to have three, uh, two or three different types of uh, ways to remediate the issues. Well, still we try to cat, uh, categorize them into three major blocks or three major buckets. Business critical issue, right? These are the issues that you want to fix now because it will affect your revenue. You do not want to bleed money, right? So what are business critical issues? If, example, like S3 buckets, right? Um, S3 buckets, you have uh, instances publicly exposed. You don't want to be um, scared about the ransomwares, uh, WannaCry, Petya, et cetera, right? So these are the business critical issues you do not want to worry about, you fix them. Second is report now. You do want to report certain issues for the teams to fix them later on. If your administrator is leaving the organization um, two weeks from now, right? You do want to fix all the. Uh, you do, you do want to rotate all your keys of the environment, right? You set up. A, uh, you do a scheduled fix that after that person leaves, I will rotate all the keys in my AWS account specific to that AWS account. So these are report now, but scheduled fix. What are the third? The third, oops, I'm sorry. So the third is the known risk, uh, where you have certain ar architectural patterns, where you still have issues you need to resolve, but you cannot resolve it now. So you cut out a ticket, uh, you assign the risk ownership to the tech owner as well as the business owner who needs to fix this issue in their next sprint cycle or in their next release, right? So these are th three different types of uh, issues that we try to tackle and help them uh, help the tool remediate the sh issues for us. So having said that. Let's talk about certain use cases uh, that how Dow Jones use this particular tool to uh, help identify, analyze, and remediate certain, uh, certain um, issues, right? Let's talk about S3 buckets, which is very popular nowadays, where a lot of organizations have um, been victims of about S3 buckets being public, right? So what do we do over here? So we look at ACLs. Right, we look at S3 bucket ACLs. Lambda goes in and scans all the buckets into all the AWS accounts if there is any violation uh, with the ACL. Right? Once it does have a violation, um, it will catalog into the database. Once the correlation engine kicks in, it will identify which AWS account it belongs to, who is the owner for this bucket, what are the tags, what are the naming conventions. Ideally, every organization have their naming conventions. So you, you understand. Uh, whom should this uh, issue belong to, right? You report the issue, obviously, to, for, for the team to be notified. You have this bucket public, and you need to resolve this. However, you can also do auto-fix, 
and, with, and fix the public ACLs, especially if this is your crown jewel account or you have a compliance account, you need to fix this right now. So let's look at the demo. Right. So we tried uh, making a bucket explicitly public in this use case, where um, now if you see, we have added a read permission to this uh, particular, bubble, uh, particular bucket. And uh, once we make this, Amazon did a good job, by the way, of adding that labels, uh, screaming on top of its voice that you have a bucket public, right? So if you see there's a bucket public here, now when Hammer scans the issue, it will identify what bucket is it. Oh, my bad. I'm sorry. Right, let's go back. Right, let's start from where we were. So yes, so Hammer uh, goes in and helps you identify what are the issues. Oh, why does it do that? Sorry, my bad. Demo gods. All right, I'll go back, 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 back. All right, so this is the one. All right, so it does identify what is the issue, which bucket it belongs to, um, and which um, which, who is the owner of this particular bucket, right? So it's uh, Acme Corp, uh, the product is First Corp, you find uh, the issue related to the particular application, as well as the, the timestamp, right? Once you have the timestamp, now you go in, the correlation engine will create a bucket, uh, a Jira ticket for you, so, so that you can track it, right? Once you have the Jira ticket associated with it, now I'll show you, uh, we should have a Jira ticket available over here. But once we have that, it will identify who is the owner of this particular bucket, uh, who needs to fix this particular bucket, as well as um, who will uh, like who sh uh, who should be notified whenever you you fix this particular bucket as well, right? So oh here here it is. So this is how so we use the SAS data for this particular uh, for for this particular example. But if you see the criticality is high, what is the threat of this bucket, right? If it has a compliance data, you need to fix this right now. And um, how, do you uh, how do you remediate this particular bucket? You have a recommendation as well. You notify the owner, and again, we have notified which AWS account and which bucket you need to fix it. Once the remediation engine kicks in, now if you see your issue has been resolved, right? So once the issue has been resolved, you go back uh, and um, we, we will just verify against uh, the AWS account and we'll refresh it so that um, the bucket, now you verify it's not public anymore, right? So we'll just refresh this page. <coughs> and there you go. The bucket is not public anymore. So now you have reduced the risk a lot, right? Especially you do not have to worry about any data exposure over here. And you notify, the, uh, you notify the owner in your Jira ticket as well that you have resolved the issue. There you go. So let's talk about the second use case. This is a pretty, uh, pretty important use case for us, especially when uh, there have been threats around ransomwares, right? You do not want your systems to be exposed to any other uh, ports needed except from your web ports, right? However, you still have certain use cases when your organization does create a bastion host and forgets about it, right? And there, there could be many more reasons as well, right? You do not want your MongoDB instances to be publicly exposed. You do not want your, uh, your SQL database installed on your EC2 instance publicly exposed. So how do we tackle that? 
it's a, um, so we took two, two-pronged approach over here, where we first go in and identify all the security groups that violates that policy for incoming um, remote administration ports, incoming database ports, right? So once you identify this anomaly, you then scan for EC2 instances behind those security groups, right? Now you find all the resources behind them uh, who, could, um, who could be potentially exploited over the time. Once you do that, the analysis engine, the correlation engine, ticks in, and that's where it identifies all the tags, which organization it belongs to, uh, which application it is, and um, which AWS account it belongs to, right? Once you do that, you have all the information around it, you report the issue, and again, you fix it. Auto-fix over here is pretty uh, unique because we do not want to shut down the instances. However, we do want to let the application run, but we will, we will stop your ingress rule from public internet to make it uh, accessible only from private IP ranges, right? So instead of remote administration from public internet, you only make it from your accessible from a private IP ranges. And then the security, security team can work with the development team how to get this remote administration issue fixed with your bastion host or, uh, or some other tool sets. Let's look at the demo for this. So as you see, right now the database is empty. We haven't scanned anything. And now we will create an, uh, create an instance which is publicly exposed and will have a remote administration open as well as all ports open for this particular thing, right? It has a public IP address, if you notice. And uh, now we'll hover over the security group rules. And if you see, port 22 is open, 8443 is expected, and all the ports are open here, right? You need to fix this issue. Uh, even though ideally I recommend people not have uh, instances on their public subnets and publicly exposed, use NAT gateways as well as ELBs. But if you see there's a web server out there, however, you still have uh, port 20 to open. I can SSH to the box. So you do want to fix this issue without breaking your uh, web server. So once you do that, Hammer kicks in, right? It identifies all the issues related to it. What is the security group associated with it? What is security group ID? which AWS account it belongs to. Has the issue been resolved or not? So these are certain things that um, Hammer finds in, well, finds uh, as well as the correlation engine kicks in and then identifies which AWS account it belongs to, which product it is, and uh, what is the timestamp? When did the issue uh, got created? Which region it is in, right? Once we have all those information, now we go in and fix the issue, all right? Uh, the ticket is here. If you see the ticket has account name information, security group name information, uh, all the relevant information necessary for the team to look at, right? We also mentioned the public IP addresses uh, associated with that instances, right? Now you have enough information to take an action against it, we resolve it. We resolve the first two instances where you have port 22 open, right? Now we have also notified the owner that we have resolved the instance for you, for this particular instance and the security group, without shutting down the instance. So if you go back, your security group rules will have now internal IP ranges only. And still, AT and 443 are still uh, accepting communications from public internet. And your web server is still running, and you won't, file, you won't be able to SSH to the box anymore. Let's see. And that's a public IP address. Uh, it's still out there. But your web server, uh, you cannot SSH to the box, right? In this way, we have resolved a uh, major issue, we do not need to worry about ransomwares. 
So what are the portfolio of services we have tried to tackle with Hammer, right? We took the stack, um, the OSI layer stack, right? Identifiers, uh, you have IAM, right? I recommend people not to use IAM users, uh, use IAM roles, but then this is a feature that you have with Trusted Advisor too, but, and it's a pretty, pretty powerful feature. You need to ha enforce pa uh, good password complexity. You need to enforce uh, IAM key rotation, and if you fail to, fail to adhere to those standards, you can use Hammer to, uh, to create the, to change the password, to rotate the keys for you, right? Storage, we just talked about a three bucket. Uh, this could be applied to all your compliance accounts where you do want to protect every uh, S3 buckets that you wanted, right? Compute. We did talk about EC2 instance here, but think about uh, certain, uh, certain use cases where you have your instance publicly exposed, but that instance has a high-profile IAM role attached to it, right? It can take detrimental actions in your account if someone, some adversary does get access to, the, uh, to that particular instance. So you can take those actions. Networking, uh, that's clubbed into your instances. However, you can still enforce certain security groups, uh, guardrails to fix uh, at least the remote administration and database ports to, uh, to be accessible only from internal IP ranges. And actually to lock it down to your applications, but it depends on organizations. Logging, um, you do want to make sure all your cloud trails are enabled. And a lot of organizations have faced this issue when they have more and more AWS accounts, they have more and more VPCs uh, in different region. That's where they forget AW, uh, uh, cloud trail enabling, right? AWS now enables cloud trail for X amount of days initially, but then you still have to do proactive measure to enable it, right, to keep it going on. So we identify which regions do not have uh, cloud trail enabled. We analyze who should go in and enable it. We are working towards fixing the issue towards a centralized log management where you can point all your logs to a particular bucket, and that's how you remediate it. So you do not really have to worry about do I have my logs in place or not, right? So that's something that we are uh, working towards resolving. Then there are certain uh, few future releases that we want to work on is application layer, where you do want to work with Amazon Inspector or some other services, bring in together and do analysis around it and uh, do the patch management as well. Right? Databases, RDS instances um, are something that we want to work around. So when we this, when we decided to work on this particular project, right, we did want it to give uh, something back to the community. We are working towards multiple avenues, how uh, we, can, uh, we can open source this particular product. Uh, we have um, certain, uh, certain, certain functions in place to, um, to code optimize and make it consumable by, uh, by the open source community. So we're working towards it. Uh, we haven't decided the date yet, but hopefully soon you'll hear from us. Right? Thank you. That's it. If you have any questions. Do you guys have any questions? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. It is a custom solution that we built for, uh, for Amazon, right? But we used Amazon tools uh, to make sure that we use Cloud for Cloud, we use Lambdas and DynamoDBs and all those things. And, and after the moment, it's more geared towards network operations and infrastructure-related gaps. Yes. Okay. Especially, yeah, and, especially and, on the three buckets and IAMs, yes. 
Okay, and you had, you said something along the, the app layer was something that we're working on. Mm -hmm. Is that expected to complement Amazon WAF or how do you see them playing along? No, so at present we were planning to uh, work towards uh, Inspector. Uh, we haven't started working towards it, but that's something that's it's in our pipeline. But not, uh, no plans to complement it with Amazon uh, WAF as of now. Okay, thank you. Welcome. Hi there. Um, I have a two-part question. The first one is the break glass accounts. I know you have to face a situation wherein you have break glass accounts, meaning if your service goes down or whatever you want to call it, it's like the root accounts. Mm -hmm. uh, what kind of, um, you know, um, you know those are local accounts. It's not, it cannot be federated because you don't want to federate that. Uh, what kind of second factor did you use to protect that? For example, the tokens, the fabs, What's, what's the kind of approach that you guys use? So all of our AWS accounts right now are federated, right? And uh, we use IAM rules to uh, let our applications, uh, our services authenticate to each other. Even for the root accounts? Oh, no, for root accounts, we have enabled MFA. Right, what kind of MFA? Have you used a two-man approach or a two-person approach, like the fabs versus the passwords? Or what's, what's that golden rule you guys have? Uh, that's a difficult question. Uh, like everyone chooses it in a different way. Uh, we are exploring uh, towards um, hardware tokens, uh, either using uh, hardware tokens. But since the SMS factor, uh, the text fact, uh, the text message authenticate uh, two factor will be obsolete. We are still working with Amazon to see how how best we can enable it. But right now, it's just uh, two factor with your uh, phone. Okay. Yeah. And the second part question is uh, because you described the. Um, attack surfaces on the network side. Mm -hmm. And there's IAM, there's network, and then there's the login and monitoring, and then you have the other operational side of things. Yep. So how do you promote this product within your organization so the operations, the DevSecOps, understands the, um, you know, the impact of what should they be doing in kind of incident response yes. once it detects the activity is detected and it, you dump it into Splunk or something? Mm -hmm. Then basically, what, what's the cycle look like? So that Splunk cycle should exist. Uh, this, uh, as far as I understand your question, right now we do want to use these particular uh, use cases to prevent it, but you still need to send all your logs towards Splunk and you need to have your incident response or monitoring in place. So you right. guys have a red team and a blue team, something on those So we, we do have that, right? So either use any log analytics tool or SIM to analyze all your events that are happening, right? So you should have that in place. Okay. It should definitely not replace any of the other things. All right, thank you. Welcome. Any more questions? All right then. Thank you, thanks a lot guys for attending. Thank you.